We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. On yesterday's program, I talked with longtime political reporter Joe Manis, who is retiring, and today we check in with our Linda Lockhart, who is also joining the ranks of retirees. Linda Lockhart has worked in journalism for 44 years. She started at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, went elsewhere for several years, came back to the Post-Dispatch, and she ended her career with St. Louis Public Radio. Linda talked earlier this week with our producer, Alex Hoyer. Alex first asked Linda what was coming to her mind as she neared retirement. I think about all the changes that I've seen that have come in the industry, um, all the great opportunities I've had, the wonderful people I've met, the things that I have learned. I think throughout the years I've always said the reason I like this business is because I get to learn something new every day. And that's been true. I mean, even today, the things that... The last story I edited earlier about um, Alzheimer's disease and uh, how it affects African Americans. There were things that I kind of knew, but I didn't know, and it was just very interesting. And to be able to share that information with people and tell stories is something that I've just always wanted to be a part of. So I very feel very thankful that I've had this opportunity. What was it like when you entered the business? <laughs> <laughs> Back in the dark ages. Um, well, I walked into the Post-Dispatch newsroom in the summer of 1974 when there were still spittoons. There were guys that had spittoons by their desks and you know chewed snuff, and there were other guys that had bottles of hard alcohol in their bottom drawer, and the telephones were ringing, and the AP bell was dinging, and there was just noise and people yelling and calling out for copy boy to come and get their stories and take them over from the reporters to the editors. And now we're in this room that's so quiet. And people are like, oh, I'm trying to work. I can't think. Can you guys keep it down over there? And it's like, you know, I learned how to tune things out. I mean, we were on manual typewriters that were going that clack, clack, clickety, clack, tap, tap with people that type with two fingers or one finger. I had had typing class in high school, so I kind of knew how to type. But, you know, I went from typewriters to computers and now digital. You know, I remember people talking here about um, recording on tape and editing the tape, but we don't have tape anymore. It's but all people just... people still say it. They still say it, exactly. Um, so uh, there weren't a lot of... I came in, you know, in the 70s when there were growing numbers of women coming into the newsroom. There were growing numbers of people of color, African-Americans, especially in St. Louis. So I did see a good opportunity of diversity in the newsroom. Um, I came in at good time, I think, there. But unfortunately, I almost feel like a lot of uh, news agencies are, are sliding back the other direction. I feel fortunate to have been able to work here. Uh, at St. Public Radio, which has a very diverse work workforce compared to others, we could certainly uh, do more. And as we continue to hire and grow, we see opportunities to keep our workforce reflective of our community. And I think that's a very important thing in telling stories of the people around us. We all can learn, and certainly I learned lots of stories about people who weren't like me. So it's not saying that certain groups of people have to can only cover their own groups, because obviously, you know, I went and covered issues that in South St. Louis County and Jefferson County and Franklin County that had nothing related to my personal experience in the lives of the people there, but I told their stories. And so now when I see a young white reporter 
who's maybe sent off into an African neighbor, American neighborhood and feels a little anxious about it. You know, I think back about, you know, nobody held my hand when they sent me off to that farmer and asked me to interview him about down in Waterloo, Illinois, about having um, an airport come and cover up his, his field. It would never happened, but the, the airport never happened, but I had to go down there and talk to farmers and, you know, they would lose their soybean fields. So I enjoyed learning those kind of things. I think when I first got into public media and public radio was when I was living in Minnesota. I worked for the newspaper in the Twin Cities, and I began to listen to Minnesota public radio. And when I first heard a story about fly fishing in North Dakota, and I had a driveway moment where I just got caught up in the storytelling, and again, I learned something new, and I was able to just sit there and listen, and I may never go fly fishing in North Dakota, but it was a good story. It was well told, and it held my interest. And that's what I've always liked about public media is that they tell stories that maybe they relate to me, maybe they don't, but they inform me and help me understand more about the greater world. So I feel fortunate now to be able to work at this institution. You were talking about representation and diversity in newsrooms and mentioned that you think that we may have regressed a little bit in terms of, and this is media as a whole. What leads you to believe that? Well, it's the studies by the American Association of Newspaper Editors, ASNE, that set out a call back in the 1970s that we wanted to have parity in newsrooms and have newsrooms reflect the communities that they live in, and they're nowhere close. In fact, when they asked for updated reporting, many newsrooms around the country didn't even bother to answer the questions. Um, Newspapers have downsized considerably and uh, have laid people off. People have been frustrated. There have been people who have worked in news organizations who have felt that they have been discriminated against within those institutions and not given a fair chance, um, not treated equally, and have left the business. Um, There's not the same push in in schools. You know, when I went to journalism school at the University of Missouri in Columbia, it was because of a designated scholarship from the Post-Dispatch because they wanted to grow their own uh, minority population of reporters because they recognized they didn't have any reporters of color or very, very few and wanted to start making sure they had quality candidates and quality, well-trained reporters. That scholarship program no longer exists, okay? And there are great people that came through that program. There are people like Gerald Boyd, who rose up to become managing editor of the New York Times. Um, There are other many people that have come out of different programs like that, but those programs now we feel like, well, we don't need them anymore. The door is open. People can come if they're qualified, and if they're not, so be it. So the challenge is that The news industry is very attractive to a lot of people across all ethnicities, and but at the same time is downsizing. There are just fewer jobs available. Um, People are concerned about going to smaller communities. We always were told as students, you know, you may not make it at the big city right away. Go to a smaller market. Go to a smaller community. But then again, you're going to be more isolated and more alone and have more challenges if you're a person of color. And People, some people just don't, that doesn't fit for their lifestyle, that they just realize that this is not the way it's going to work for me. So somehow I feel like there have been progress in many ways, but in other ways, it's like the emphasis is like gone. I mean, there's always been this sort of backlash of, oh, you've, you're only there because you're fitting a minority chair. You're really not qualified. That's always been on my shoulder and it's on the shoulder of young people yet today, that the things our parents told us about having to be twice as good to get half as far 
still remains. And now we have a new generation of people that are impatient and don't feel like that this still applies to them. If you look at television, you know, you might think, well, it's all great because many of our local television stations appear to be fully integrated. But then we still get to the important jobs of who's making the decisions, who are the editors in the editor's chairs, who are deciding what stories get covered, how much space and time those stories are. And those seats are still predominantly filled by white people, mostly white males. Um, And so the decisions are still being made not by the people whose lives are affected and whose stories are being told, but those that are sitting at the top of the food chain. During your time at St. Louis Public Radio, which has been just a little more than five years, uh, you've done copy editing for us and engagement uh, with our listeners. But you mentioned doing a story in Waterloo. What what was the bulk of your career, maybe for the first two decades? <laughs> when I came out of journalism school, I went to the Post-Dispatch, as I said, as a newly minted reporter. And I did GA, which you know meant whatever was going on in the course of the day, general assignment. I became the night police reporter, which opened my eyes to this underbelly of of crime in St. Louis, uh, which was also very challenging. Um, Police are good men, good women, good people that keep us safe every day. But sometimes they never really liked reporters very much. And they didn't have any experience with many black reporters or certainly any black women reporters. And so there were times where it was clear they were trying to tease me or goad me or make me have to sort of walk a certain gauntlet to see if I was worthy, if I could not crumble and take me into the interrogation room and show me hard evidence. And let's go over and meet in the in the morgue. We got something we want to show you over there. I mean, really just trying to gross me out and see if I'd run out of the room crying. Um, but again, I, I'm from St. Louis. I have a lot of pride in my city. And so again, telling those kind of stories was important to me to find people whose lives were affected by crime. Um, after a few years, I was an education reporter. I covered the St. Louis Public Schools and all the school districts around metropolitan St. Louis um, in the late 1970s and early 80s at the time that school desegregation was uh, going into effect, court-ordered busing. Um, so that was a very big story that I covered, uh, just how children are educated, how children are miseducated, the changes in the education system. Um, that's something that still troubles me that you know, some 30 years, 40 years after school desegregation, um, St. Louis Public School children are still having serious difficulties um, in getting the quality education they deserve. So that's always been a passion of mine. Um, I covered general aviation. I covered um, you know small aircraft flying to little airports. Um, I left the Post-Dispatch uh, in the early 80s and went to the Milwaukee Journal, and that's when I began doing my editing. And so I was a copy editor there. Moved to St. Paul, Minnesota, did many different editing jobs there, beginning as a copy editor, but worked my way through the various desks. And you wound up back in St. Louis when? Came back to St. Louis in uh, 1997, returned to the Post-Dispatch, so I have bookend career Mm -hmm. at the newspaper. Uh, Returned as a copy editor. They had a position open and called me in to do that. Um, From there, I was Metro section editor in charge of the section at the Metro News. I Worked as an editorial writer for a couple of years and wrote on opinion pieces on the editorial page, which I thought was probably one of the highest honors I have, to be able to have that forum of this is what's happening and this is what I or the institution, the Post-Dispatch, thinks should happen. Um, so it was still reporting, giving the background, setting up a scenario, but then trying to draw a conclusion and trying to help direct people into which way we thought they should go. 
Um, I also worked on the National International News Desk, which we used to call the old wire desk or telegraph desk, where you pulled in news from around the world, the different news agencies from the New York Times and the Washington Post, the Times of London or BBC or other news organizations of stories that people uh, should be able to share. So that was really great. But then newspapers began to decline. Um, There was a wave where the Post-Dispatch was sold to Lee Enterprises, and that's when the layoffs and early retirement and buyouts and things began in the mid-2000, around 2005. In 2007 is when I left the Post-Dispatch and was, again, very fortunate to uh, continue working with people I had known since I was a high school kid. Um, Margie Freivogel launched the St. Louis Beacon, the online-only news organization, and Margie invited me to come and be part of the Beacon crew. Um, And that was probably the most fun I've had because we were starting a whole new thing and we had no rules. We just wanted to cover good journalism, tell good stories, and didn't quite know how to do it as an online-only product. But we made the best of it, and we had five great years of getting out there and telling what was going on in St. Louis. And so when the time came for the transition and the merger with public radio, um, it was still an opportunity for me to keep learning new things. And still, Mm -hmm. I tell people, I say, I'm still telling stories, just finding new ways to do it. Is there a highlight story that you can recall from your four-decade-plus career? (laughs) Um, Early on, uh, there was, unfortunately, St. Louis still continues to have a lot of of crime and difficulties. And early on, I was um, sent to cover a homicide of a young high school student who had been killed over his jacket. He was wearing a leather jacket, and he was shot and killed for it. So I went to the family home, and the family members were there, and they were gathered around grieving. And I went into the house, and I didn't really right away say, hi, I'm a reporter from the newspaper. I kind of just, you know, sat there respectfully and quiet and sort of tried to just, you know, blend in. And a little kid came and sat on my, wanted to sit on my lap, like a toddler, just, you know, wandered up. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll hold the baby. And so somebody's like, well, you know, who are you? You know, you're not a relative <laughs> or whatever. Adults finally recognized me. And, you know, I had finally explained, you know, who I was. And somehow just the time that I didn't just barge in and pull out my notebook and start interviewing right away, but took time to respect people that were in their grief, um, they were ready to talk to me. I feel like if I just knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm from the newspaper, you know, I want to interview somebody, they might have said, no, this is not a good time. But the door was open, I went in the house, I sat down, I made friends, and they told me a great story. It was a sad story, but it was a family's story. And I think I tried to do that family justice by telling the story of, of their lost child. And you showed them respect. And I showed them respect. Um, so, you know, I think at uh, one point I, I met President Jimmy Carter, which was very exciting for me. Um, I've been active throughout most of my career with the National Association of Black Journalists, and I held national office. I was national secretary back in the 1970s. I'm a founder of the St. Louis chapter of Black Journalists here, um, which has, again, had its 40th anniversary a couple of years ago. I feel very honored because we have helped young people through um, high school journalism workshops, again, to prepare them to go off into, to go to college with the skills they need, to prepare them for internships, prepare them for just how to interview for jobs, all those things, sort of mentoring young people has been very important to me because I had great mentors that did help me. And so obviously, I think it's something that I need to do to keep the next generation ready. So you never want to hear anybody say, we can't find anybody qualified for this job. That's a bunch of crock. That St. Louis Public Radio copy editor and outreach specialist Linda Lockhart talking with producer Alex Hoyer. Linda retired this week after working in journalism for 44 years. We wish her well.